0: You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Crocker, founder of the Small Nonprofits Alliance. Today's guest is Dr. Chris-Antar Morley, a feminist with a passion for women's rights. A gender justice specialist and research and evaluation expert with over 15 years experience, Dr. Morley has worked across diverse global cultural contexts in Australia, Asia, Africa, the UK and the Pacific. She now draws on that significant expertise and her personal journey as an African woman in her role as the CEO of One Girl, a small development organisation doing big things to educate girls all over the globe. In the spirit of reconciliation, I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land on which both I and Chrisanta live and work, and I'd acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which you all reside while listening to this podcast today. Hi, Chrysanta, How are you today? Thanks, Bianca. I'm well. How are you? I'm so good and I'm delighted that you're here with us on our Small But Mighty podcast today. So thanks so much for joining us.
1: It's an absolute honour to be here today. Thank you for inviting
0: me. So you've been One Girls CEO for almost a year now. What was your motivation to join the organisation as they educate girls to change the world?
1: My motivation, um, I think, is is twofold. It's um, my experience as an African woman um, and my experience with education as an African woman. Um, My grandmother did not have the privilege of an education. She got to grade two. um, And then my mother um, was what I call a one girl. She was sponsored uh, for most of her high school education to be able to complete um, an excel and and so basically complete strangers are part of the reason why i'm sitting here today um, girls education it's a sort of humble circle so one girl for me for me is really really the opportunity to engage to be of service uh, to give back so to speak and i say that in quotes because really what does giving back mean uh, but for me it's it's my grandmother's experience it's my mother's experience but also the privilege of working with an organization that recognizes that education is a right it's not a privilege um, and recognizes that you know over 150 million girls around the world don't have this access to education it's one girl is a feminist organization I'm a feminist, so my motivations for you know to engage with one girl are really manyfold. But I am really thrilled that I found an organization which basically understands that when you educate a girl, everything changes, and is boldly imagining that you know all girls globally can and should have access to quality education. So my motivation is personal, um, uh, more than it is professional at this point.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a, um, you know, a beautiful collision of two of you know, like of your of your personal and your professional life have really come together um, in this position for you, which is truly um, truly wonderful to hear, and so extraordinary to hear of your grandmother's and your and your mother's um, you know education journey as well and how that's influenced influenced you, no doubt who who you are as a person and as as like you said as an African woman. That's yeah, really wonderful. Thanks for sharing. Um, you call yourself a pracademic, so someone who looks so uh, so someone who works as both a practitioner and an academic. How do you think your academic experience has helped your work as a practitioner?
1: Wow. Well, I have to say my eyes were opened in academia uh, when I started to really understand what international development really is. I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, so as an academic, I have been, I've worked in a number of organi- uh, universities in Australia, Canberra University, UNSW, RMIT, Melbourne. Uh, University and most recently Monash Um, and in that space I have been working um, in and engaging with students on international development issues Um, so that's sort of where I was getting the theory of international development. As a practitioner um, I've also had the experience of working obviously with a number of organizations, Oxford Red Cross International Women's Development Agency both in Australia but also internationally. My academic experience has really been about asking those questions, you know, what is development? What is this thing they call international development that is being done to me or is seen to be done to me as an African woman? You know, what does that look like? Where did it come from? Who defines it? Um, and, and really asking those questions in the academic space has really given me a space to then challenge the practice as well as challenge the theory you know so it's been sort of uh, an iterative learning process yeah. for me where I've, I've just had the opportunity to ask the big questions that my grandmother used to ask for example when she would see the big UN bands show up in her village and Come. They have come to build toilets or they have come to do this, but really you no know, deeper understanding of what that meant um, in the community. So for me, I think academia has given me that critical and analysis way of thinking about, you know, really, really, what are we talking about when we then say gender equality? You know, when we say feminism, you know, I say I'm an African feminist because I don't necessarily subscribe to other forms of feminism, because my lived experience is, is it. So mm. I think for me, what academia and practice does is it gives us the space to play and learn and really continuously ask ourselves the question, where did this term development come from is it working in the way that it is supposed to be working mm-hmm. and what more can organizations like one girl to do to start to really uh, make sure that it, it, the rubber really hits the road because mm-hmm. sometimes we talk about developments so theoretically that you know we talk SDGs and MDGs and all these other things but how does that, what does that look like when it goes into a country like Sierra Leone or into Uganda or even in Australia with our mm. First Nations, young women and girls? So um, I, I love that space. I continue to straddle it unapologetically um, and has made me a bit of a noisemaker, if I may be um, honest. young. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I think it sounds like all good noise that you're making, you know, and, and, they're, and they're really, um, it it's really... A lovely way. I feel like I'm, I'm almost repeating my response to your earlier question because it feels like these two areas of your life have combined really well as, you know, at this point in time as well. And like you say, almost opposing skill sets um, in so many ways to be able to come together and really look through both lenses and question each other through both lenses, um, both lenses is really, really interesting. It's also, I find it also really interesting to think, you know, as an academic, your your you know your experience. If you think about your grandmother's experience that you talked about, who didn't get past grade two, and you know, and her granddaughter, you know, here you are as an academic. That's that's huge. That's so incredible. Um, to think of what you've been able to achieve in yeah. you know since that opportunity, you know, since mm-hmm. your grandmother was in um her experience of education.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think my grandmother. Set the pace. I sit here today because of her. She was determined that no daughter of hers or granddaughter of hers would be excluded from education because she was a woman, because she felt that she had to get married because that was sort of what was expected. Education was not for girls, you know, it was, you know, past time. And I remember how she talked about it. She talked about it as her experience of education as they went into these spaces and they just sat all day in a foreign language. And she was just like, okay, uh, I know that they need to do this, so my daughter will do it and my granddaughter will do it. And so because of that vision, because of the feminist that she was, it is absolutely the reason I sit here today as single at One Girl and I never forget that every single day. I remember all the women who have come before me that have created the space for me to be able to come in um, and mm. sort of uh, be in this space so i I love talking about my grandmother please
0: stop me at some point do yeah, <laughs> <is> the reason <laughs> that is such a beautiful story and I'm sure you have many many reasons well you have you already mentioned a number of reasons but is there any particular story in your own life that perhaps hinted that you might end up working in the nonprofit sector? I was thinking about this earlier, and I thought, what, it, when, when did this happen?
1: Because I have to say, um, in my 20s, I was hardcore uh, web developer. I was in IT, okay? I was in IT. Yeah. But I went back, and I remember when I was 10 years old, I joined this organization called Help Aged Kenya. And we were supposed to raise money. I think I was in grade three or four. We were going to walk 10 kilometers, 10 kilometers at 10 years Mm -hmm. um, to raise money for the elderly um, in the community. And I remember when that was introduced to me, it was that this will help my grandmother. And my, you know, my, you know, so it was very, you know, the way a child thinks about change. It was, I'm going to walk 10 kilometers so that my grandmother can have, a better access to, you know, to health or to something... Yeah. Uh, so I joined then um, and I pestered my family and friends, oh my goodness, to, to, to donate and to fundraise. So I think that was <laughs> my first engagement in any sort of campaign of any sort. Uh, but then at 12 years old, I officially joined Kenya Red Cross. Yeah. Um, and I got my first aid certificate, which I still proudly, very proudly have. It's, <laughs> it's this little, you know, it's kept in this little box and it's like, you know. So I, I would say that, I used to joke that I was always a social worker at heart. And I remember being louder about it when I got into IT and realizing ah, this is not my space. I get it, we'll do technology. Yes, I can develop a whole web page. Yes, I can do programming. But my heart is what so what? Then what? How do we use these skills to change the lives of people and not just to make corporations richer and so I think that's when I quit my job and I moved to Australia came to do my master's at UNSW in social work social international development did my PhD in social work still at UNSW and the rest as they say is history Mm, (laughs) I remember my IT
0: days (laughs) (laughs) so the big question out of all of that story for me is did you as a 10 year old walk that full 10 kilometers I did
1: (laughs) I I did. I did. I did. I was a long way. Yeah, it was such a long you, way. And we were playing half the time. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. were stopping and playing and stopping and snacking. And <laughs> But I just remember what, what it meant. I never forgot why I did the walk. Yeah. And I think for me, that's where this need to be of service in whichever yeah. way I can be, as long as I can, um, you know, I'll always do it. So yeah. I'm so yeah. glad to have joined, you know, come to development uh, formally in terms yeah. of working with organizations like CoxFan and others to see what this really looks like and to get a deeper understanding, but at the same time, always asking questions. Why? Why are we doing it this way? What? How is this the best approach? Why is it not done this way? And I think what one girl does is it creates a space for us to do better and to really pivot in the way we think about development and what it means for young women and
0: girls. Yeah. Um, can you tell us on that note, can you tell us a little more about the work of One Girl? <laughs> my
1: my favourite topic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> work of One
1: Girl. Um, so first of all, let me say, um, I am so inspired by the work of One Girl, but I'm also so inspired by the amazing team, the amazing women, men, boys and girls that we work with or in different ways, in terms of, you know, the, what I like to call the one world tribe. You know, we are a tribe. As an African, you join a tribe. You never really leave a tribe. And so, um, <laughs> for me, that's that I really wanted to say that that is my biggest inspiration. The work that we do, uh, specifically, um, is really around working to ensure that every girl has access to education. One of the ways we do this is through what we call the scholarships program. Uh, This is where we basically provide Everything that a girl needs to go to school, whether it's book bags, lunch, uniforms, tuition, menstrual hygiene products, anything and everything that a girl needs to go to school is part of that program. We're currently supporting 200 girls this year in 28 partner schools in Sierra Leone. both That's so incredible. And, rural. and yeah. it's so exciting. And we're going to grow you know, and bring in more girls because every time I talk to these specific cohorts of girls, they say, so how many more are you going to bring, Miss Molly? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, we're going to make sure we transform Sierra Leone um, uh, together. Um, the other thing we do that really is exciting is community engagement. Now we cannot be saying girls need to go to school uh, because you know, um, you know. But, but we are the only ones who will support them. Community engagement is about bringing the local elders. We are living and working in a patriarchal society, in a society where my grandmother lived not many, many, many years ago, where girls are still seen as not necessarily important when it comes to education. So we work with teachers, educators, we work with parents, elders, and we literally find all ways of having the conversations we need to ensure girls go to school there's a little program that we started it's still in pilot phase which we call girl talk now girl talk we are doing in partnership with whatsapp uh, it's an online well-being program that basically emerged in 2019 i mean 2020 at cause of covid right mm, um yeah. we are, and this is basically a space where girls um, talk about old things girls you know um you know um well-being uh, my health my body my choice my mind quitting which is my favorite one you know how to be a queen? you know, in your body, in your identity, and really holding your head up as a young woman. Uh, so that's when we have about 69 scholars who are involved um, in it. We are hoping to really grow that program over the next couple of um, months and years to come because it's such a big program uh, now that the digital space is how we will be programming so that one's picked up. And uh, one more I'm going to briefly talk, to about, talk about is what we call the Girls Emerge. Um, We're currently supporting 220 young women with vocational skills. Uh, we are working directly with a partner in Uganda. Um, and essentially, the girls that we are working with here are young girls who are single mothers um, for whatever reason and for different reasons. Um, and we are basically ensuring that because they have been kicked out of school, because they are mothers, uh, we are working with them to ensure that they have opportunities to engage in other Um, ways of doing things so we are challenging the traditional gender roles uh, Mm so it's not the usual hairdressing and tailoring hey you want to do that that's fine but we're creating a plethora of options for young women and they are telling us what they want to do very recently I'll quickly digress um, a group of women of some of the girls we work with in, in Uganda were asked what would you like us to support you to learn and they said listen Thanks for all the hairdressing and tailoring and all that stuff. But actually now we would love to learn carpentry brick-making, masonry, because COVID means that everybody's now building houses, and we want to be part of that action. So how yeah. are you going to help us do it? So part of what is beautiful about our programs is we shift. We are girl-led. We are told by the girls we work with and for what it is they need, not here is a prescribed program for you. That's a process we're still working with and working on, but I'm so excited um, that we are able to do that and finally across all our program sexual and reproductive health rights are core to yeah. absolutely women women and young girls being women and young girls. So we're doing a lot of work on that as well uh, through Girl Talk and through other programs uh, within um, the vocational skilling. Okay, I can talk all day about One Girl <laughs> and our program,
0: but I will
1: pause from programs. And No, now. that's
0: great. It's so good to hear, and you are so excited. But as we've talked about, I've been, a, um, a you know, personally a fan of One Girl for, for a number of years now. Yeah, so yeah. I hear your excitement and I share in that excitement about the incredible work that the organisation is doing um, and it is such important work and I think you know I'm really um, excited to hear how the organization is listening to you know to the people and the women and girls that you're working with and and also you know you just said so comfortably and frankly, that you're still continuing to work on that, you know, and and to do that, which is so, so good to hear as well, because I don't think any of us in any situation, wherever we're working with whatever community group, it's not something that's, you know, okay, we've listened and that's that. It's not a one-time sort of thing. It's an ongoing thing that needs to happen in community development. So it's really great to hear that, um, that one girl is working in that space continuously.
1: Thank you, you. we are, we try and that's the bit we say girl led Um, we don't want to be leading what girls need what girls want we are led by what they need what they say they want in their context because we also recognize that that is a lived experience that we don't have so Mm -hmm. making assumptions about what a program should be and what girls in Sierra Leone need and girls, young teenage girls need this and the other, is so certainly not feminist as far mm-hmm. as we're concerned. And, and we're an, unapologetically feminist as one girl. So we will walk that talk um, mm-hmm. however long it takes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we're very, very excited about where we're going to next. But, um, yeah, really, really excited about that part, the girls' so speak on their yeah. own behalf.
0: Yeah, yeah definitely and the girl talk program i hadn't actually heard about that one so is it was that was did that come about from you know from the young women and girls actually yes. saying that that's what they wanted
1: yeah. Yes. So uh, what happened in 2020 when the girls realized, oops, we're all in lockdown globally and there were no schools open, yeah. um, when we reached out to the girls and said, hey, what's going on? How are you? And we all know that when girls are not going to school, there are additional risks attached to their safety, their security, their well-being, but also their own personal growth. And yes. so when we reached out to the girls, the biggest aspect they said for us is we're bored, we're isolated, and we actually feel like we're not. Now we are, you know, the ones doing all the housework chores, you know, yeah. uh, because we're not going to school, we now have new jobs, you know, and yeah. some of the girls were also really concerned about not possibly being able to go back to school because of the impact of COVID and what that means in terms of the household yeah. financial sort of situation. So we listened to them and we just basically came up with um, maybe we need to get some phones. And so we got some phones. We had a donor who was so wonderful. I think that's why we currently are looking for more phones but they just came up and said hey if we, we can do it we'll support you we got girls uh, connected to the phone we got whatsapp to support us with the business version of whatsapp um, and they have been unbelievable they're doing a case study on one girl as we speak which will be at some point yeah. um, and, and literally the girls said now we want to talk about our self esteem we want to talk about the challenges that we're facing um, around our menstrual hygiene we want to talk about how to talk about sex what does that mean what does my body my choice mean the topics came from the girls so we are continuing to finesse this you know of course we've had to modify them to make sure that they actually can be packaged but they are learning what they would love to learn and that Mm -hmm. is going to be changed in different ways around Mm -hmm. the world we're currently hoping uh, to engage with the pacific really soon um, to engage girls in the pacific because their issues are very different the same but different because when yeah. you think about it, like climate change having the impact that it is having in the Pacific, um, yeah. girls are seeing it, experiencing it. But do they have a space to talk outside that political climate change and seas rising? What is yeah. the impact it's having on girls and how can we support them? So yeah. that's Girl Talk. It's our little baby. We're so excited about it. We're going to test it in different places, in different approaches, in different contexts and see, you know, what is it that girls of the world want to speak about? And how yeah. do they be able to save spaces uh, to ensure that they're able to do that? So, yeah.
0: yeah that's girl so talk. exciting. That's really exciting. Love to, um, you know, see where that goes over the next few years for you guys there as well. Yep. Um, now, for our listeners who obviously cannot see Chris Anta today, she's wearing a beautiful red and white school dress. Um, one girl's flagship fundraiser is called Do It In A Dress. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I would love to do it in a dress, our flagship fundraiser program. Uh, Do it in a dress is in the way we describe it. It's a global movement of people from all walks of life, women, girls, men, boys, children of all ages, who basically put on a school dress as a symbol. It is a symbol of acknowledgement that firstly, over 150 million girls around the world today do not have access to education. This number is expected to grow because of the pandemic. So this is not something that we cannot, we can continue to ignore. So we wear the dress to say, hey, there are many girls out there who do not have the opportunity to wear the dress. We also wear this dress as a symbol, and acknowledgement that girls' education is a right, not a privilege. It has become a privilege and normalized by our society that, you know, some girls actually have to drop out of school because they're pregnant. Or oh, some girls have to drop out of school because now it's time to get married. And we have accepted that and we use notions of culture and tradition and we package them in these spaces that we can't touch. Well, I wear this dress to say, that's not good enough okay mm-hmm. girls have a right like every boy to an education so what do it in address as a campaign does is number one it's raising money it's raising money so that we can continue to support the girls we work with and for um, around the world some of the programs I've mentioned but it's also an opportunity to continue to raise awareness and just say it is not okay It is injustice, it's it's inequality, it is inequity, it is discrimination. It is all those things that we as a humanity have created. We Mm. have created inequality. You know, we bleed the same. We want the same for all our children. So for me, Do It in a Dress is a month for me, you know, between the 8th of September to the 11th of October to keep reminding myself that Chrysantha, because of this dress the power that you now have comes from the fact that you were given that opportunity to mm. go to school. So for me, um, uh, do it in address. I think it's inaugural year. Was it 2011? If I'm not mistaken um, in the first uh, year, it ran over 30 days. We had about 77 people across six countries raised $43,000. And that was, whoa, you know, it was amazing. Way to go, one girl! And yeah. then up to date, we've had over fifteen thousand people from over twenty countries who have participated in Do It in a Dress in one way or another, and we've raised over four million dollars. Um, I think huge. for us, that says that number one, people know, uh uh-uh, uh, it's not on anymore. Girls need to go to school, and we're gonna wear that dress until we wear it out. And yeah. number two. Let's make some, get some money. So that we can make sure that instead of 200 girls going to school in Sierra Leone, there are 400, 600, 1,000, and a million around the world. Uh, So for me, that's what it's about. In 2020, uh, obviously, because things shifted, um, we had to pivot into online fundraising, um, and look, we didn't do so badly. Last year, we had 1,600 people who managed to raise over $250,000, which, again, in the the middle of a pandemic. So yeah, it yeah. goes to show that people know this thing is it's not okay. It's just That's not right. okay. And people are making the time to say I will wear it in a dress and go in for a meeting. I will wear a dress and walk to the supermarket so that somebody can ask me, why are you wearing that dress? And yeah. I can have that conversation with them. So for us, it's 10 years, do it in a dress, 10, do it in a dress, done, and we are very, very excited um, as we prepare for our campaign, which starts on the 8th of September, yeah. um, and I'm happy to share how, we, how you go about that. But that's, in a nutshell, what Do It In A Dress is all about.
0: It's so incredible, and it's such a powerful symbol, the dress, and such a simple idea, really, that, um, you know, it really proves from a fundraising perspective that it doesn't have to be a really complex idea it just needs to be simple um, and relevant to people. And, and obviously you've shown with over 15,000 participants over the last, you know, 10 years, that shows that there are people willing, to, um, willing and wanting to make a difference and you just need to give them the opportunity to do something that they go, oh, this makes sense to me, yes. um, and they can have that connection between their own opportunity to wear this dress And what it stands for, like you said, the, you know, 150 million girls around the world that do not have access to education. And you're totally, you're totally spot on. It is not right. It is not okay. And it's so, it's so good and humbling to hear that so many people over the last decade have supported one girl to, you know, to improve um, the lives of many girls um, around the world, which is exciting. Um, yeah. and you've done so well, over $4 million. And just to remind all of our listeners, One Girl is, is a, you know, still a small international development organisation. So $4 million over this period of time is is a real great success. You should be so proud of yourself and the team that have worked on the program over the, or the campaign over the years. What do you think is some of the or one of the key aspects for your success in this campaign in such a small organisation?
1: I think the first thing is I would attribute um, the success to um, basically our supporters, our tribe, essentially, honestly. Um, We are such a small organisation, but we do punch above our weight, so to speak. Um, Anybody who knows how small um, One Girl is um, knows what we're talking about when we talk about small. We're talking about less than, you know, 20 people basically doing all this work both here and in Sierra Leone. So it's a small organization. The success, as I said, absolutely attributed to our supporters. The passion, the loyalty, the commitment, year on year. We have supporters who have worn that dress for the last 10 years yeah I mean that for me says a lot about who our uh, supporters are and I think um that's part of it and of course a huge huge thank you to all of the supporters our tribe who have really Mm -hmm. good Continue to support um, girls out there who do not have access to an education. Um, people you don't know, people like my mother, um, have been educated because of this. So I think I, I start from saying absolutely our supporters. And then I want to sort of also break it down to say our, unfortunately, the focus of our work, education for girls, instead of it getting better, it's getting worse. Mm. So in some ways, the success is is sad because we should not still be talking about girls' education in 2021. I don't hear us talking about boys' education uh, anywhere. I don't see boys' education in the SDGs. I don't Mm. see boys' education. Why is it still okay that Mm. we should be having campaigns to talk about why it is important for girls to go to school? Mm. So I think the focus and the message as well has come you know, I mean, it's basically the fact that this continues, but also the messaging. I think, that like you said uh, very clearly, and I love that, is, you know, it's a very simple message. It is such a simple symbol. You know, there is those paragraphs attached to it. Wear the dress. And talk about why it's important for girls yeah. to wear a dress in yeah. school. So I think the simplicity of it, uh, but also I have to say the humility of One Girl as an organization. I think you know many organizations would have grown in size, so to speak, um, you know, over the years. I think One Girl has stayed exactly at the size that it has been for very many years. You know, because our priority is to ensure that. Uh, our, the money goes to the community, to the girls. Mm. Um, so it's not about building an empire. You can be really small but very mighty. Younger, yeah. As Absolutely.
0: Know. <laughs> Absolutely. And we at the Small Nonprofits Alliance, we obviously really believe that. Um, so it is great to hear that in action mm. um, with one girl. Um, I know Do It In Address has had a lot of success attracting a younger audience, generally speaking. Um, and then, obviously, that hopefully, you know, flows into your donor database. So, mm-hmm. a, a lot of charities, I mean, and if you look at the typical Australian donor, that they're, they're not a young person. Um, they're generally an older Australian that are, are um, donors to charities. So, how do you think One Girl has been able to, to connect so well to a younger audience? <laughs>
1: That touches my heart. Young girl, one girl, it's all linked. Uh, So um, why? Because we've kept our message really simple. Uh, We are straight talkers. We are unapologetic. We are solution focused. And I think our style of messaging has resonated with young people. We have an amazing communications team that just gets it um, in terms of who are we speaking to and about and therefore how should that message sort of be put out there so we're not very big on you know curating messages you know we literally speak as we sound and our website does say that you know it's almost like you're having a conversation with somebody as opposed mm. to reading a uh, but I also want to acknowledge the young people that we have been able to engage with, the younger donors. Uh, young people today are not the young people of Gen X or Gen Y or Gen whatever. Uh, the young people today basically are determined to ensure that they are part of the change that happens in this world. Yeah. They are not tolerating social injustice. They're not tolerating racism, inequality, all the things that we have sort of tolerated and have yeah. gone over the decades. Um, they are just not having it. They really want to be part of the solutions, part of the action. They want to set things right for their future. We've seen them talk about climate mm. change And Mm. just completely yell on top of their voices. And I guess for them, it's just like when we talk to young people, especially our ambassadors, and they're saying, well, you know, um, uh, uh, it's obvious, of course it's obvious girls should be going to school. (laughs) I mean, of course, it's it's like, (laughs) what are you, what are you, who, what are you talking about? And then we start to share with them the facts of the world as we live in today. Yeah. And they're like, absolutely not. So I think for us, it's that inclusive way of remembering that we are not the drivers of change as one girl. We are being led by mm. the young people of this world. They are the ones telling us what they want to learn. They're the ones telling us that we want to have girl talk. They're the ones telling us to do it in a dress and do this. And they're the ones telling us. And as long as this is the issue, we will continue to listen. So mm. I think that part of being girl-led, call it girl-led um, mm. in many ways, or women-led is really bringing to forth. The voices that absolutely matter in the decisions that we make as an organization. So, whether that's through our strategy process, we're currently going through a strategic development process, and we are engaging the girls in Sierra Leone to tell us what they think. Look like next year and the next year. So I just did a video on on that with them. And I'm like, you know, I mean, how else would we know what the strategy needs to be? So I think that inclusive feminist approach to everything that we do, because we are a value-based organization, helps Uh, Mm. with young people connecting it's it's not this foreign process that they're not you know you don't have to go do a degree to understand what do it in addresses or how you can take action and support um, Mm. young young women and girls around the world so that I think has been um, very uh, amazing about what girl we have going to go further we are going mm-hmm. to keep asking young people we are going to sh- keep shifting and pivoting to the needs of young people young girls and and, and young women and so for us it's a no-brainer it's mm. absolutely a no-brainer and that's why I guess they like to hang out with us yeah <laughs> 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 can I just very quickly acknowledge um two young um, especially I was thinking, I was talking about um, the young, you were asking about the young people. And I wanted to mention um, that two specific young people, three actually in Boston, Massachusetts, we had last year, we had two sisters, Val yeah. and Annie, really young girls, 10 and 12. They raised $3,000 by wow. making, and selling handmade masks to the <laughs> COVID pandemic. Yeah. They made $3,000. 10 and 12-year-olds, we had another young girl in Vienna. Um, she wore her dress while traveling um, 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 across, you know, the country, blogging her entire journey and sharing photos of herself and her friend in dresses. At major landmarks when she went to the United States, they raised $3,000. And so for me, small but mighty yeah. is the name of the game. These young women and young girls are making a difference. They are donors. They are contributing more than most of some of our major donors. And I absolutely love them for it. I adore them. I am so honored and so humbled. And I always say, oh, Krasanta, this is you when you were 10 years old because I remember (laughs) the (laughs) history. <laughs> so I think I, I see myself in them in many ways, but they're yeah. beautiful and amazing, and I I cannot say and stop saying how privileged I am to be part of such a beautiful community. It's uh, so exciting.
0: There's such exciting stories. I mean, all of what you just said is so exciting. But for me, thinking exactly what you said, that young people today are so determined to be part of a solution and be part of a change that our world sees. And it gives me a lot of faith (laughs) in what the future of our world might look like. Um, But hearing those particular stories of those young girls, it also shows me that they're they're really understanding social issues, which is so um, important. And I think, you know, young kids which is basically what we're talking about when you're talking about 10 and 12-year-olds, they're kids. To be able to be so aware of, um, you know, life not only around you but, you know, outside of your own world is a huge thing. So that's really exciting. What you talked about in, in terms of the language that you use at One Girl to talk to your supporters and to communicate with them, that's, that's some of the most integral pieces of fundraising, you know, stuff that we sort of talk about all the time that not all organisations understand. They're always trying to, you know, tweak the language. And, like, I actually remember the very first day I stumbled across one girl's website, however many, it was 10, well, it must be more than 10 years ago because it was just at the beginning, just before the first student address. Even back then the language was so frank and so straightforward and it talked about being transparent and the desire to you know, bring people on the journey and they were not apologetic at all about that and that is what always attracted me and really got my attention in the beginning. So it's so wonderful to hear, you know, a decade later the organisation is still operating in that exact way because That's that sad. I think is what makes your organisation stand out in the crowd okay. and, and be able to okay. connect with the audience that you do connect with.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Speak to people. Don't speak at people. You know, we we bring these terms, academic, this, the other. Just remember we're human beings. We start from being human. Everything else we've added on top of that. We start with being humans. And if you just have an honest, open, transparent conversation and people understand what the issue is and how they can help, you will have them lining up. But when we politicize theorize, and turn, you know, even having a conversation into a whole technical process that's almost most of us speak English and half the time I don't understand what yeah. you're talking about when you come to me with that sort of language. So yeah. we keep it really simple. And I think it's also important to keep it simple in recognizing that not everybody speaks English. And so it is important that if we are talking about being a global organization, yes, hopefully one day we're able to do a lot more translation. But for now, we can keep it simple so yeah. that any girl around the world who can read or speak English can look at our website and know that there is yes. hope or go in there and see what else is happening. Yeah. So we really yeah. have been very intentional in keeping it that way and we will continue to be intentional because yeah. we are one yeah. girl and yeah. we are not going to shift from that in the name of anything. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> we are one That girl. is so <laughs> fabulous to hear, Chris Um So I won't keep you much longer, although I'm sure we could chat for for, for many more hours because this has been an absolute delight. Um, but the, this year, as you mentioned earlier, is the 10th anniversary of Building a Dress. Um, how can any of our listeners get involved or follow the one girl story? What's the best ways that you would recommend for people to do that? Oh, my
1: goodness. This is the exciting part. So, mm-hmm. of course, we need your help. We need your help um, because, the, as we said, education is important. Do it in address is one way to do it, as you'll realize. So what can people do? Listen, go to doitinaddress.com to get involved. We are uh, we also have social media handles at one girl. O-R-G. So go straight to the website, doitandaddress.com. You can register. It's very simple. It will tell you what to do. Um, And if you don't know, if you get lost a little bit, there is somebody there to help. Just send a message. Um, You sign on to the website and you get a dress. You put on your dress. We'll send you the dress. Put on your dress and rally your crew Raise funds, and I can tell you this year, uh, like last year, because we can't actually do events, which is mm. what we would have done. We're looking for people to send us photos, to send us yeah. videos of activities you're doing, whether it's skydiving, surfing, skiing, dancing, running, hiking, shopping, working, doing yogurt. I'll be mowing the lawn in a dress suit, um, <laughs> clearing the house, taking a walk, uh, joining a lesson, going in for meetings. I will be wearing the dress for a full month in every single meeting I go to, just so that we can have the conversation. So essentially, go and register. And if you run out of ideas, reach out to us. We have bucket loads of ideas (laughs) that we can share. And we would love to see different people's uh, pictures being shared around what they're doing, doing it in a dress. It is the 10th year. So let's do this one big. Let's yeah. really get involved and make sure that we are wearing the dress and remembering that it is a symbol of what is not right about why girls can't go to school. So do it in dress.com and reach out. And, of course, always, we are always available on our website if you need to reach out for other um, engagements.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chrisanne. So that's really great advice for all of our listeners. If you do want to get involved or even just follow the One Girl Story Um, Check Check them out on their socials and visit the website, as just mentioned, Um, and we'll put some of those um, features in our podcast episode notes for everyone as well. Um, But thank you so much for being here today. Um, It's been so wonderful to chat with you. Um, You are an absolute delight, a ball of energy, and so excited and enthusiastic about creating the change in the world that we so desperately need globally and I think over the last decade more people have realised that educating girls can make a huge difference Um, so we I think hope I'd like to think we're moving in the right direction some of the information you said recently perhaps suggests that we aren't but hopefully um, with the work that organisations like One Girl continue to do and all of your supporters um, we can really make a difference. And I can't wait to see where the organisation goes um, in the future. So thanks so much for your time today. It's been a wonderful um, opportunity to speak with you.
1: Thank you, Bianca. It's been an absolute honour. Um, and I really do wish you the very best, small but mighty. Small but mighty for me is, is really remembering that as a collective, we have so much power. Uh, but also that collective starts as an individual. So let's not think big, you know, we need to have 6 million people with us. But I am so excited about what this podcast is about. I'm excited about what Small and Mighty is all about. I think it you resonate with me because of, you know, your size and one girl's size and how we are doing this work. But thanks again and again um, for engaging us with this process. And we do look forward to meeting new support you are all welcome to the one girl tribe you are welcome with open arms wear that dress with pride and remind people why it is important i thank you so much for listening to me today
0: thanks so much